Nicole Graham is currently the coordinator for bundled care at Health Sciences North or HSN in Sudbury, Ontario, where she is responsible for supporting the implementation of HSN's TJR bundled care model and for integrating care with community partners to promote seamless patient transitions across the care continuum. Prior to taking on the bundled care coordinator role, Nicole was an active advanced practice physiotherapist. She received a Bachelor of Science in Physical Therapy from the University of Western, Departmental Management Certificate from the Ontario Hospital Association, an Advanced Care Practitioner designation from the University of Toronto, a Management for Human Services Agency Certificate from the University of Toronto, and is currently on track to complete the MBA program at Laurentian University. Nicole is an active discipline committee member and was previously a professional council member for the College of Physiotherapists in Ontario. She has been a guest lecturer, study coordinator, and peer reviewer for physiotherapy academic programs. Just a side note, Nicole has also played an instrumental role in implementing SeamlessMD at HSN for surgical remote monitoring by working directly with Ontario Health, customizing the platform pathways, and by engaging and supporting the various surgical teams at HSN using the platform to ensure optimal patient-centered care. Nicole, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Amazing. So actually, Nicole, you know, to set the stage for everyone, Health Sciences North covers the greater Sudbury area in Northern Ontario. Could you tell us a little bit more about the population, which percent of the population is remote or elderly or even Indigenous? Yeah. Um, so Health Sciences, we're based in Sudbury, but we do um, offer services and support over 570,000 patients across a 400,000 kilometer, a square kilometer radius. So quite a large area. And we're not just kind of the acute care hospital, but we actually have 13 sites just in Sudbury that deliver care. And that increases to 25 sites across Northern Ontario. So a, a large, large area, 38% of our patients are from rural, rural areas. 20% um, are francophone, um, and that includes the whole region. But if you just look at the more northern region, that increases to about 30% of patients being mm -hmm. francophone. Wow. We also have 20% of our patients who are elderly or 65 years and over, and that's projected to increase to 30% by 2036. So that elderly population, as you know, is increasing. As far as Indigenous uh, population, 17% of our population is Indigenous compared to 3% provincially, so we do have a larger Indigenous population. So, you know, there's lots of considerations when you're covering that large area and that demographic population. Uh, for us, it's partnering. So it's not just the brick and mortar of the hospital, but it's breaking down those borders, being able to transition patients through their care continuum, uh, you know, starting in their home community, coming perhaps for their acute surgical procedures and then returning to the community and how we best support them there. So whether that's um, through the Santé Communautaire Francophone, which supports our Francophone patients or the Aboriginal Health Access Centers, the Indigenous Patient Navigators, really important to include all those um, partners in delivering care for patients. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I know, you know, for instance, on Seamless MD, the platform has to be in French as well. And then there's Indigenous components built in for Indigenous communities. Um, just to, for folks listening, HSN actually implemented surgical remote monitoring uh, with Seamless MD for COVID um, for hip, knee, shoulder, breast cancer, liver, and pancreas surgery. And it's soon to be rolled out for cardiac, TAVI, and electrophysiology procedures as well. 
what do you think, Nicole, were some of the main reasons that Health Sciences North wanted to implement surgical remote monitoring uh, in the first place? Yeah, I think there's a few reasons. I think we started off with uh, thinking about it from our total joint replacement population. That's already a, a quality-based procedure, so uh, defined as what we call the QBP in the province, so procedure that already has evidence-based research backing it up and practices behind it to support you know, great, good patient outcomes. So with bundled care, it's an extension of that quality-based procedure. Bundled care is uh, you know, supporting the patients right from the decision to treat, so when the patient with the surgeon makes the choice that they're going to have surgery to all the way to their post-acute rehab phase. So up to 90 days post-operatively. So that's one of the reasons that seamless and bundled care married well together for that patient population because we could have a tool that they could use and support them through that same. So the thought was the same in terms of supporting patients, but also through COVID we found as you know, patients were not accessing the acute care services as they should be. So we needed a way to monitor them uh, remotely or virtually uh, to make sure that patients were recovering safely. So um, at that time as well during COVID, we went from not being able to offer pre-op classes in person. So we were delivering education classes to groups of patients. So our patient volumes for total joint replacement are over a thousand a year. So every few weeks, we had about 20 patients with their caregiver in a conference room, learning about their procedure and what they needed to do pre-op and post-op. We weren't able to do that um, during COVID. Um, so the classes went virtually. And so being able to provide them with the information that we would have given them in class made sense to have a platform to be able to, to give them that. Um, also, pre-admission went to virtual uh, visits for some of the patients as well. So having a tool to have all that information, you know, when's your pre-admission appointment? Where are you going to park? When's your COVID test going to be? Um, you know, we also linked our COVID screening questionnaires. So when you come to the hospital, you save some time. So all that technology behind it was another reason why we wanted to implement the surgical monitoring. And I think in the future too, what's coming now uh, is the surgical backlog. So um, we're going to have to kind of increase the amount of surgery just to catch up from what we haven't been able to do. And we're going to need some tools to support patients virtually. Absolutely. So those are the reasons why we uh, we went with uh, virtual care. You know, sometimes when we talk to um, folks like yourself, you know, it was really COVID that kind of brought surgical remote monitoring to light. And it was kind of the main reason it happened in the first place. There are others who maybe they were thinking about it for some other reason beforehand, but it, they really COVID was the driver to finally let that idea come to life and get support for it. I was just curious, like for yourself and for, for HSN, were you thinking about something like this even before COVID and COVID just kind of made it possible or, or really this came up for the first time during COVID? No, I think we were thinking about it before. Um, uh, like I said, specifically for patients having total joint replacement because the bundle care episode is is supporting the patient throughout the whole, like from from you know, 30 days pre-op to 90 days post-op. So we have so much information for those large procedures to give to patients that having a repository uh, of information is important. They get papers uh, you know, at different appointments. Um, sometimes they don't know how to organize that or, or you know, they have to call back and say, I forgot when my appointment is, when is that? So 
I think we were thinking about, but definitely COVID was the impetus for sure. And we had support from the ministry to, to, to do that, to make sure patients were safe. Yeah, I think the, the incredible thing that, that we've seen is um, Ontario has been really progressive on the sort of experience for patients. I mean, we are you know, doing work with folks in other provinces and, and in parts of the U.S. And, and actually, Ontario has been probably the most progressive in, in supporting providers and organizations with this sort of monitoring experience. So actually, that, that's been really exciting for us to see, given that, you know, actually our whole team is based out of Ontario as well. Surgical remote monitoring, despite it being a very, let's call it more common thing since COVID, is still a relatively new concept. Um, just curious, um, you know, when a patient or a colleague asks you about, you know, what Seamless MD and this program is, it, how do you typically describe it? I think it's yeah different with patients and, um, and, and colleagues. I think for patients, I tell them, this is something that will give you all the information you need. Um, you're going to be able to access it or look at it anytime you want, but it's going to tell you what you need to know before your surgery, but it, it's also going to help you check in daily. So to make sure that you're, you know, on track with, with what's happening post-op, but if you're not, and if you're worried about something, you'll be, you'll know where to go and who to see um, for what, what symptoms or, or signs you're experiencing. So for patients, um, I tell them it, it, you know, it's the library of information, but it, it, it's also gonna give you peace of mind uh, for what you need to know for your surgery. For colleagues, I, I often say that, you know, it's, it's a digitized care plan. It, it's what, the, what you've worked on in terms of your, your pre-op, um, what I, I want to say the pre-op order sets or the, the guidebook for patient or um, it's all in one repository. So it's, it's supporting what the clinicians are doing in their pre-op education and making sure that the patients are going to recover well at home um, and have the support that they need. So when COVID hit, you know, teams had to move re relatively quickly to solve new challenges and to meet patients where they were at. Um, I'm curious to know how did you and the organization rally the team together to try something that was completely new? You had to take it with good faith that it was going to work. What was the thought behind that? Yeah, I think I'll go back to the bundle care example. We already had that team established from pre-admission representations to our post-acute physiotherapy clinics in the community and our other smaller hospitals, we had a bundle care committee. So we, we tapped onto that and just kind of, you know, started there with bundle, with uh, virtual care and, and, and said, okay, this is COVID. We have to change the way we're doing pre-admission appointments. We have to change how we're doing preoperative education classes. This is something that can help us. So rallying that team was useful. We also had patient advisors uh, on our uh, committee and we engaged them to tell us what their experience was and how, um, you know, would this work for you? So actually we had a patient have a demo account and she went through the demo account and said, you know, she had had her procedure quite a few years earlier but you know said how how user friendly it was mm -hmm. and um how easy it was for her to use even though she wasn't completely tech savvy mm -hmm. um so we rallied that group but then for other pathways we continued to engage uh, from the patient advisors uh, to the clinical teams so um, clinical leaders uh, nurses physiotherapists uh, the surgeons and the admin team as well the managers mm -hmm. you know were informed about it they actually you know encouraged the clinical leaders to be on board because what it also helped is it, it helped the teams look at what the processes they currently had had in place and it forced them to look at their materials so it, it forced them to look at 
oh, this information is not up to date. I need to update it. So the value of that, having uh, the right information for the patients and consolidating that information, making sure it was right. And the information was changing fast, right, with COVID. So the way a patient was accessing pre-admission or the, you know, the need to go have a COVID test before your surgery, those are all things we needed to add. Um, so it made it easy to have it in one, one area and make, to make sure that the patients were um, following those procedures. Uh, as they call their Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, and just post-operatively, I think uh, it's comforting for the nurses. They, they're able to you know, identify what signs and symptoms we need to look at for the patients afterwards. So having that clinical team was really important. Amazing. I, I want to say that there's so many incredible insights um, to unpack there that I just wanted to um, say a couple that, that you mentioned to remind myself. So, I mean, one amazing thing you said was um, you already had this bundled care team. So um, it seems that because of that initiative previously, you already had not just a team, but it sounds like a culture in place of being able to be nimble, to take on new innovative models of care. So having that infrastructure and that culture and team made it hopefully a little bit easier to, to try something new like, like monitoring. The other thing I found fascinating that I really liked was um, the patient advisors and, and that council and, and looping them into this um, process uh, to, to get their direct feedback on it. It reminded me of... Um, we have another um, partner here in Ontario where when they were looking at this um, this platform, one of the, the things they did in their evaluation was um, a clinician um, got access to a demo account and then asked uh, her mother, who I think was 80-something, was to use it, and her mom was able to use it. Um, and so that helped her, you know, see up, up front, hey, you know what, a, a patient like my mom of that age and and, you know, with other, you know, physical and, and other health issues was able to interact and engage and, and it was usable. So they remind me of that. That made a lot of sense. Um, and I think the last thing that you mentioned that I really liked was the fact that it, this was almost like a, a vehicle to bring people to the table who, um, and it's not the first time we've heard that where um, everyone thinks everyone's saying or doing the same things or the information's up to date, but this was kind of an excuse to get everyone to re-engage and come around the table and, and just see yeah. if, if things were consistent. And you're right, sometimes they weren't or they're out of date. Um, so that, that really, really resonated. Thank you for, for sharing that. Yeah. I was curious, Nicole, I mean, now that, you know, you, your team has been doing this for some time over the past year, um, what aspects of the, the surgical monitoring experience, um, have you found to be most valuable for, for the team and, and for your patients? I think the patients, uh, we get a lot of comments through the app, as you know, about how less worried they are about their procedure. It gave them confidence. Uh, Post-op, we have had comments that it gave me comfort to know somebody was looking after me. You know, even if they're they're not called upon, they're filling out that daily health check. So it feels like they're not abandoned after their surgery. Because sometimes during their procedure, they don't get a follow-up with their surgeon for six weeks, you know? Okay. So a lot of patients being discharged who are progressing fairly well may not have that touch point. And for them to be able to check in daily, they, they are comforted by, by that. So I think that's very helpful. And for the team as well, you know, um, you know discharges are happening, happening earlier. So um, sometimes on the floor, we'd have the nurses take time to call the patients, you know, the 20, within 24 or 48 hours after mm -hmm. they've been discharged. Now they know they have an app to check in and the patients will be directed if they're not on core or on par with their um, recovery. So they know who to access and when to access services. So, so that's been very valuable for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. 
and Nicole, uh, I, I did some homework on, on some of our, our dashboards and, uh, you know, we found that over 97% of um, your patients um, are activating and engaging on, on, on Seamless MD in the platform, which is really high activation engagement. I know that generally speaking, when we talk about, you know, digital platforms for patient historically, activation rates, you know, aren't anywhere close to, you know, over 97%. Then that that's not all the technology. A lot of that has to do with um, what your team is doing to motivate patients and educate and, and all that. I'm just wondering, are are there certain things that you and your team are doing when you introduce this to, to patients that um, that you think are are having a big impact on such high activation? Uh, definitely, I think it's our enrollment process. We dedicated a medical secretary to our enrollment process, so she actually monitors the OR list. Uh, um, so for patients who are having surgery, typically those it's two weeks out uh, that um, they're put on the OR list. So she actually calls the patients and tells them about the program. So describes the program, um, asks them if they're interested, tells them what it'll do for them in terms of providing all their information in one spot. It will prepare them before, tell them you know where to come for their appointment, when to come, when to stop medications before surgery, and then just uh, the library of information. So in detail, she describes what the program will do. Um, and then it's an, it's an important touch point to be able to identify barriers. So the patient says, well, you know, I'm not comfortable, I can, so, you know, they'll give them a chance. If you have an email, let, you know, try it, just go and see. And if, if you can, if you can get onto it, if not, do you have a daughter? Do you have a son? Do you have a, a sister that could help you with this? And then the, with Seamless, the ability to enroll a caregiver is really a good as well. But I'm blown away by the amount of patients that actually engage with the elderly population. That was the concern of many teams around, you know what, we are, our surgical average age is 70. You know, how, how are these patients gonna use technology? But you know what, my mother who is in her 80s has a Facebook account, her <laughs> friends do, but they all go on Facebook. So they all have tablets or iPads that they're using. So why wouldn't they for their healthcare, you know, use what they are already using? So, um, you know, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Nicole, I'm curious. So, you know, you've mentioned that patients are actively tracking their symptoms while they're in the post-discharge phase of their journey. They're at home, they're able to stay on track with their recovery exercises and uh, make sure that everything is going smoothly. And the flip side of that is the provider team that's actively uh, monitoring patients. Who at HSN is responsible for monitoring patients? And uh, what are some of the insights that maybe your team has gained from being able to actually see the patients in, in real time throughout their, their post-discharge phase? Yeah, the monitoring team, it, it varies. We've been very flexible with that. For example, in our breast program, the breast clinic is very involved with their patients. So when they're, they're seen in clinic and deemed surgical, the nurse there um, is talking to them about seamless and then enrolling them. So it's their team that actually discusses uh, seamless and enrolls them and they, they monitor their, the platform for their patients and follow up with them. So it's very seamless and we've had very good results with them. Their uh, ED visits within 30 days of surgery uh, two years ago was 6%, it's it's 0% now when we wow. compare it since they've been on seamless. So 
with the support, with the nurse being alerted of concerns, it's avoiding ED visits. So their patients, you know, their issues are being resolved, obviously, because they're not having to access the ED within 30 days, like 0%. It's, it's just amazing. So, and for other teams, uh, we have uh, nurses. So we've had a, a variety of uh, nurses monitor the platform that have acute surgical experience. So that's been important for us because they already know what to expect in a post-surgical patient. So for total joint replacement, you know, um, wound management and those kinds of things are very important. And the ability for the nurse to provide that education over the phone to avoid potential uh, ED visits readmission was important to us. So um, that's how it's being monitored. Now for other teams like TAVI, for example, they have we have a TAVI coordinator here who's very involved in the pre-op education. Likely will you know, have that workflow identified for them to monitor their patients more closely. But we wanna get the right people at the right time within the right surgical pathway to support the patients and not be you know, a huge extension of uh, you know, what we're having to do. We're trying to incorporate mm -hmm. it into current workflows. We have various pathways, various clinicians that can have the expertise to provide that care. Yeah, that's such a wonderful point, Nicole. I think a lot of times um, there's this concern that you know, implementing this sort of platform will force a major change in a workflow. And, and you're absolutely right. I think what we found over the years is that you can't force a workflow that just doesn't fit um, within the resources and how that team is organized. And even within the same organization, to your point, different surgical programs and, and teams will have different resources and existing workflows and, and needs. And that has to be tailored based on, on what makes sense. Otherwise, you're going to get probably pushback and it just doesn't make sense for them. So it's, it's amazing to see that the team has been nimble to kind of, you know, adapt based on what those different clinical teams uh, need and, and can do. You mentioned just now a lot of really great um, stories and feedback about, you know, providers being able to, to use this um, program to, you know, prevent ED visits and readmissions and whatnot. I'm just curious, are, are there any um, patient stories in particular over the past year that I'm just you, you tend to remember that have made the biggest impact on you when you think about remote monitoring? There's so many, but uh, you know the the algorithms or I, I, I view them as algorithms, but the pathways and the way the questions are answered to provide the correct recommendation. There are patients who are going to have perhaps some serious concerns that need to be addressed in the ED. So one particular patient had reported some, uh, you know, calf pain and was directed to go to the ED. Our nurse uh, followed up with the patient afterward, but she had actually gone and was diagnosed after ultrasound with a, a, a thrombosis, a, a blood clot in her mm -hmm. leg, in her calf, so was put on anticoagulants. So it's not that we're going to eliminate all the ED visits, but we're going to direct the patient when it's needed to go to the ED and um, provide safe care. So all the, um, you know, alerts and recommendations that are built into the system and customized for the pathways, everyone works on them and we make sure that, you know, they're done correctly so that the patients um, are recovering safely. Um, I don't, the other, the big thing that our nurses have reported as well is the amount of education they've done around pain management. Patients are going home early and they are not always clear on how to use their pain medication if they've been prescribed one or two medication. So a, a lot of the issues we were seeing in the emergency department was around pain management. And it's an easy 
uh, resolution over the phone when the patient said, well, I took this, you know, 12 hours ago and I still have pain or, mm-hmm. you know, and then, you know, to take their medications appropriately is just, a, it's, it's an education piece uh, for the nurse to do, um, to be able to manage better at home. So that, that's a big one for me that uh, is very useful. And um, the other thing for, because of total knee joint replacement is the, the wound management. So, uh, the ability to take photos and send them in, um, you know, the the amount of resolution that can happen virtually is incredible because addressing, you know, can be seeping, can be, you know, it could be bleeding, it could be a sign of infection. But once the, ner- you know, patients sometimes don't expect the amount of swelling, uh, you mm-hmm. know, that, that they have post-op. So being able to take a picture and send it will help the nurse kind of evaluate it and determine where, where the patient could go. A nurse is able over the phone to assess the patient's capability to change their own dressing. And if they see that they can't, they ask, do you have a daughter? Do you, and we've had people, oh, my, my, my next door neighbor's a nurse, she'll come over and do it. I know, okay, here's where you go get your supplies. Here's where you can do it. Um, we've also had the patients who don't have the resources. We're going to arrange uh, you to come to ambulatory care unit. You know, um, where you're going to see the nurse practitioner there. She'll help you with your dressing changes. Or in the case where the patients are don't have the home support at all, we, we can have a home care nurse go in um, and go do that. And again, avoiding ED visits because we don't need to go there for dressing changes. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, home care could go into the home, especially in remote communities. You know, they don't have a lot of, uh, they might not have access to the the care to their family physician as quickly. But home care could go in and, and do that for them. So, yeah, it's it's multifactorial the amount of support and. The, the, the pathways and, uh, you know, making sure that patients are safe. Well, that's wonderful. And, and I think one thing that really stood out to me just now, Nicole, was uh, your comment about the incision photos. It, it reminds me of that, you know, that, that old phrase, uh, you know, pictures worth a thousand words. I, I, I can only imagine how, you know, if you're on the, if you're, if all you have is the phone and, you know, you have a patient who's had, you know, maybe a tonal knee replacement, they're talking about a certain level of redness or, or bruising or whatnot it's really hard to grasp what that means just through it, through the phone. And so of course you're going to tell the patient to come in and, and you'll have to look at it in person just to make sure you're, from a safety point of view, you're not missing anything. But if you can get to your point in today's world, a, a very high quality photo remotely, you know, you can get those thousand words from the picture and, and, and make a much better assessment. So um, it's amazing to see that uh, what is traditionally a pretty, like not new technology when it comes to things like photographs net now is becoming so commonplace to make a difference. That's amazing. Um, Alan, I think you had a question about the, yeah. the group. Well, so actually, I think it's also, you know, worth mentioning, Nicole, uh, at this point, HSN has enrolled over 700 patients. And so with wound photos and collecting symptom reports, like that's a lot of data being collected. That's to help the team and they can gather insights. And so I think the other neat thing that's happened uh, over the past two years now is the government or through Ontario Health has actually formed a provincial seamless MD user group uh, and HSN was one of the first members of this user group. Could you tell us and our audience a little bit more in terms of what is this user group and what are the benefits of being a part of it? We identified in the north, especially that the, the virtual care was important because of our remote communities. So um, HSN and Thunder Bay, the Sioux, Timmins, North Bay, we were always kind of emailing back and forth. Uh, we, you know, what are you doing and what can help you? Um, but being uh, on a provincial uh, call with other hospitals who are implementing and um, kind of at the same time, you know, we're 
you know, sometimes we think the South is going to implement before us, but I think in this case, the North was very innovative mm -hmm. and, and starting this. So we've been able to share our experiences uh, amongst our, our teams, but also having Seamless at the table uh, involved as well to tell us it, it helps kind of standardize pathways and, and have templates available and um, kind of know what teams are thinking and what we need to include, what we don't. And we share a lot in our teams. I mean, I think in our pre-op education class for total knee replacement, we had a picture of, you know, what you can expect your knee to look like. Just kind of, it was a, a photo of a real patient, but just of the knee and, you know, uh, the Sioux and North Bay and Timmins kind of said, hey, can we use that as well? you know it's it, it would be useful for us so not having to replicate you know duplicate efforts uh, is, is is helpful and um, you know also looking at outcomes together and um, you know working together the other thing is our needs in terms of the francophone population um, the uh, you know, we've also looked at Indigenous and it, potentially having that available in other languages too. So uh, doing a provincial procurement for those services will, you know, hopefully save a lot of money, but have the service available to our, our okay. populations in various languages. So, so collaborating provincially is huge in terms of, of you know, saving money and um, having, you know, a good product for our patients. Yeah, 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 I would say like, you know, um, having done, you know, work with different groups um, across Canada and the US, one of the nice things about Ontario is that it truly is a, you know, very much a one um, you know, single health system. And there's a lot of, um, you know, strong culture to collaborate, you know, groups aren't, aren't really competing because you're all trying to, you know, serve patients across Ontario, whereas I think sometimes when we're in the US, you know, if groups are in the same city, because it's a bit more of a, a free market. Um, sometimes they may not be as keen to collaborate because they almost feel like they're competing um, when it comes to healthcare delivery. But in Ontario, that's not the case. You're all trying to help each other out and, and help patients get better. So it makes it a lot easier for us to support collaboration in the province, which has been really, really phenomenal. Nicole, these were uh, amazing, amazing insights. Um, but before we jump into what we call, I guess, the fast fire or the lightning round um, to learn more about you, um, Alan, was there anything else you were hoping to touch on with Nicole? No, honestly, Nicole, I think, um, you know, you've, you've provided a ton of insights from HSN and just your work with bundled care and, and how I think just echoing Josh's statement there on how collaborative the, the nature of especially Ontario North and, and how uh, all those teams have been. It's really fascinating. And I, I think our audience will gain a lot of insights from that. And you know, hopefully some teams, maybe it's uh, the South uh, needs to hear this and, and jump aboard as well and, and have a truly provincial kind of collaboration. I think that's a wonderful effort and, and hopefully we can uh, make that happen. Uh, and so at this point, we do want to, I, I, did you have something there to say, Nicole? I just want to say as well that um, I think that some points that are important to bring out is, is that the quality of the team that you have at Seamless and, you know, we, the fact that the app is um, AODA compliant and, you know, available to our patients with visual impairments in terms of screen reader, readers and just the quality making it uh, at the literacy level, you know, that's um, uh, patients are able to understand so and, and the response, you know, we, we, we look at the positive feedback, but we look, also look at what patients are saying in terms of what didn't work perhaps. And when we identify something and report it back to your team, they're right on it. So we've had, even though, you know, I know the goal is to just, you know, give it six months and see 
you know, before we reiterate, we've been able to make some small changes which are significant to the patients. Um, so having the correct wording, having, you know, the correct algorithm and, and those kinds of things. So that's been really helpful. I really appreciate all your team. I mean, uh, Jordan, Danny, Dan in the beginning, uh, Daniela, um, and now we're going to have Kiera and Tiffany, you know, all, all great team members. So uh, I think our team, uh, I hear it from our team here, how much they appreciate the support. Lots going on in the background that I don't hear as well of communication between the clinical leaders and either uh, Daniela or Jordan. Really good support. So I just wanted to, to highlight that, that uh, you're very responsive and, and your literacy and um, the patient educators are really knowledgeable about the pathways. And, and as we're implementing more pathways, it's getting easier and easier because um, we know what we need to include. You know from your experience what, what works. So that's been, been very good. Well, Nicole, I really, really appreciate you saying that. Thank you so much. And, uh, you know, now all those folks you mentioned are going to have to listen to uh, this podcast <laughs> with you. We'll make, we'll make sure that happens. Um, but, but, but in all seriousness, I think one of the things that reminds me of is when we, you know, work with partners lately, um, they've also highlighted, you know, really enjoying working with um, the patient education team. And, and you know, for, um, for folks who aren't familiar, that team here, um, comes from the clinical world as well. So they have a background in health communications or from, you know, they've been a dietitian or a pharmacist or, or a nurse or, um, or other um, types of clinical roles. And what we often hear, Nicole, is that uh, when folks like yourself are able to just speak your normal lingual and not have to worry about it being misinterpreted or, or misunderstood, um, it's made things a lot smoother. So, so getting that sort of feedback that that having that that team within our within our team has been helpful it means a lot. So thank you for highlighting that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we'll shift gears now to what we call the lightning round or fast five. It's really just five questions to get to know you a bit better for our audience. Uh, and so we'll start with the first question we have: What is your favorite book or book you've gifted the most? I have to go to a children's book because uh, as a mother and new grandmother, I think that's the, my favorite book to gift is Goodnight Moon by oh, yeah. Brown. So a, a good, good uh, kid's book. That's a fantastic book. It's ageless. Yeah, it really is. Josh, do you know I, that I, one? I, I feel left out. I haven't read yeah. that one. <laughs> oh, Goodnight Moon. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure my partner can recite that book by memory, the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. That's a good one. Uh, question two, how has an apparent failure set you up for greater success? Uh, not gonna go professional career here. I'm gonna go <laughs> my personal life, uh, losing at races. So, um, so doing uh, triathlons in the past pre-COVID, uh, yeah. not coming in uh, first has motivated me to kind of try and do better. Mm -hmm. uh, in Sudbury here, we have what we call a Sudbury Fitness Challenge, which is a series of seven events from running races to cross-country skiing in the winter canoe, um, and then uh, uh, seven events throughout the year. And came in first in my age group in 2018 wow. in the 50 to 59 category. So kind of, you know, Lost a few races, but gathered enough points to, you know, win that, uh, that trophy in the end. That's incredible. I think it's also a testament just to your work ethic, because a lot of people would give up if it's like, oh, you know, they're not coming first, they give up. But for you, it's like it motivates you to push even harder. That's really, yeah. that's really fantastic. Um, okay, question three. This one's a little bit different. Would you rather have super strength, super speed, or the ability to read people's minds? 
Uh, super speed. Yeah. <laughs> the eliminate getting from one place to another. Yeah. Uh, you know, being there in an instant, saving time. That's, yeah. that's what I mean. <laughs> Also, you can, you can win even more races. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, question four, what is something in healthcare you believe that others might find insane? Other people find it as insane as I do, but uh, when I was preparing for this, um, it came across an article that uh, when I started my career, so, uh, you know, early on, 30 years ago, the length of stay for a patient having total hip replacement was 9 to 11 days. Mm -hmm. And 50% of our patients now are going home the same day. Yeah. And the length of stay, the average, our average length of stay for total hip replacement is one and a half days. So mm -hmm. we've learned that patients are able to recover safely at home. They don't need to stay in the hospital that long. Um, and you know now we're able to support them as well. But uh, that to me, that's insane that uh, mm -hmm. we've progressed so much in healthcare um, that we're able to, to do those procedures and, and have patients safely recover at home. Yeah, so, so, Nicole. This this morning we were talking to um, a cardiovascular center, and they were telling us uh, about their vision uh, to eventually achieve um, same day open heart surgery, which um, kind of blew my mind to even think about something like that. But then again, if if we traveled back in time to you know years ago when you know length of stay for hips and knees was you know was ten days, and you told them, hey, someday it's going to be a same day <laughs> procedure. Maybe they would have thought, you know, we'd be crazy too. So yeah. I don't know. Well, I guess we'll have to see on that one. It seems yeah. crazy to me to think about, you know, same day open heart surgery, but I don't know. You never know. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. That's neat. It, also just thinking, yeah, into the future, what else is going to change? And, you know, maybe same day we'll get converted to one hour and, and they're <laughs> at home, you know, somehow. Never know. We need the technology though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay, last question that we have is a COVID-19 lockdown related question or pandemic related. Uh, what is one hobby or activity you've gotten into since the beginning of the pandemic? Um, fat biking and kayaking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so fat, I cycled before, but I purchased a fat bike when I was off and uh, just had so much fun. Um, you know, riding trails in the winter and, uh, you know, off, off off-road trails uh, right that's, that's you're saying fad biking at f-a-t so fat the tires oh yeah, yeah very wide these. gives a nice good ride in rough terrain but right. also really you know they have a lot of grip on them yeah. so you can ride them in a hard packed snow so wow. you know it just extends the riding season uh, really really a lot of fun yeah that's awesome so and, and obviously in Sudbury it snows quite a bit and, and up, up north so yeah I always say we have the best of the summer and the best of the winter because yeah. <laughs> we can do sports in those all those seasons That's and true. we have a lot of lakes in Sudbury so we're able to take advantage in the summer so right yeah oh that's awesome very cool um well Nicole I guess that's all of our questions that we had prepared for today um, but I, I do want to again thank you for coming on the show and providing all the insights that you've given in terms of, you know, how collaborative your HSN actually is and, and your work with the bundled care community and, and bringing people together and, and really helping patients and, and putting patients first um, by implementing this digital technology, but then just even above and beyond the digital technology itself, just how your team has come together through COVID and, and really uh, worked for the benefit of the patient. And so 
again, just want to thank you for coming on the show, sharing the insights with us today. Um, I don't have anything else to say, but uh, Josh, if, if you do, but. No, I, I echo what Alan said and Nicole, this has been incredibly insightful. Um, I'm sure a lot of folks uh, in the province and beyond who are thinking about something like this will we'll learn a lot. So thank you so much for taking the time to, to share all your wisdom and, and learning so far. Oh, thank you very much. And really looking forward to working on an ongoing basis to implement uh, future pathways. Mm -hmm.